we're going to be talking about principles of New Testament holiness and how holiness is really important to our lives. And if we want to be people who are faithfully living for Christ, who are crusaders for all that is good, true, and beautiful, then we need to understand just how relevant holiness is in everything we do. Regardless of how large or small it may seem, holiness is very important. And today we're going to be looking at the New Testament and tying this in from a little bit different angle than you might expect. Here at Kingdom of the Logos' Nazarene Open University, we're going to be starting actually in the book of Revelation and then weaving ourselves back throughout the New Testament. So thank you for joining us. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others with me here in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Well, let's go ahead and begin by opening up in prayer. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift of time and space that we may come, gather, and converse about who you are and who you have called us to be. So be with your people, we pray. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So as we begin, I want us to understand that critical thinking is very important to being a holy people. It's very important to being made in the image of God and also actually reflecting God's holiness. And one of the great tragedies we have in the modern era is our culture around us has trained our brains to think in this mentality of, you either agree with me on everything or you hate me. This idea that you either are completely going along with something or you're rejecting it out altogether. Now, there are moments in life when we should do that. But most of the time, we should be putting things in their proper order. When we look throughout Scripture, God is communicating to us, whether it be the Ten Commandments, whether it be the days of creation, there is an order to things. Now, some things are not in that order at all, like evil, idols. They're not to be there at all. But when it comes to the things which God has created, you know, God comes first. Then we love our neighbor as ourselves. We, we can look there in the Ten Commandments and we see that, you know, having God first is more important than keeping the Sabbath. Though, again, one should still keep the Sabbath, but you just have to put them in their proper order. It's not a question of accepting one thing and then rejecting the other, but of putting them in their proper importance. And for our conversation today, it really is going to be vital that we keep that in mind. So as we begin, I want to have a few things just thrown out there. And this will be building on our previous lesson, lessons on becoming a holy people. Let me start by saying God alone makes the good. There are no exceptions to that. No training, no amount of life experience or stories make someone good. God alone makes the good. Secondly, we are fallen creatures. Thirdly, the dangerous power of God, the God who made the heavens and the earth, he loves you enough that he wants you to be sufficient to stand. And I want us to hold on to those words because it's going to be reused throughout this program. The idea that God wants you to be sufficient to stand. And also, God wants to begin revival with you. Holiness is not something which is just out there in the ether that you can relate to if you want to. No, if you are someone who is saved, God wants to come to you. In the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it comes to all of those in the church, regardless of where they're at, young, old, you know, rich, poor. They all get the Holy Spirit so that they're all able to stand and speak. God wants you to be sufficient to stand, and that is very important. So let's jump into our first scripture for today, and we're going to begin our district module class on becoming a holy people from a really interesting angle. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And this is when Jesus is about to judge the living and the dead. The hour is late in the grand course of, of earth. 
But there's going to be a thousand year period where Jesus reigns. Now, during this period, Jesus is going to raise some people from the dead. And I want us to look at this and I want us to ask ourselves the question, are these people holy or are they not? I think the answer is a little obvious, but just (laughs) bear with me. Revelation 20 verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones, and those seated on them were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony to Jesus and for the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And all right, I've spoke for quite a bit. It's time for me to turn over to the other voices here in the studio and throw out these questions. Number one, are these holy people that Jesus raised from the dead? Pastor Amanda. Well, I, I think we were talking, I mean, you see it, I think, quite plainly. If Jesus is giving them authority to reign, they have to have met some kind of standard. Right. And um, I think it's also interesting that it is specifically spoken out that they are the ones who were beheaded for their testimony and they did not worship the beast. And it talks about the mark. And, and really what we find in this is that their life, really the culmination of their life, their last moments on earth, are defined by their dedication to Christ and not their dedication to the beast or the things of this world. And I I think really that is the essence of holiness, is to be consumed by the love, by um, the grace, by the will of God. And so even though those words may not be specifically used in this text, their actions reveal that. And so, of course, I would think these are holy people. Sure. And just to build off your opening statement there, there must be some standard. And you outlined that standard. They were willing to be beheaded in that final hour. When you go to the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 12, the last two passages you have there, one is of people who are hypocrites. They're scribes. They wear the long robes. They have all the best seats at banquets and in the synagogues. They say they're long public prayers. And Jesus contrasts that, those people who on the surface look like they're holy and righteous people. He contrasts that with a widow who is willing to trust God with her livelihood. Now, she's not threatened to be beheaded by the beast in that hour, but she is trusting God with her life. Mm -hmm. She has two copper coins that amount to about a penny. She's willing to trust God with her entire life. That same thing happens with that widow as happens here in Revelation 20, verse 4. We find people who are willing to trust God with their life, even if that means you're beheaded. If you're a widow who doesn't have a lot of money, you might starve. You're trusting God with your life. And God looks at that and recognizes that your order of things, again, going back to that, at the top rung of the ladder of the order, you have put your faith in God. Mm-hmm. Pastor Mike, your thoughts on this. Are these a holy people? Absolutely, they are holy people. But it's I think you have to put those things in order where you start with that, that God alone makes the good, and that, they, that we are fallen creatures. God deemed the the original creation good, and yet by that free will and that free choice, we are that fallen creature. And God has, the moment they believed, they went beyond belief to the point where they dedicated and gave themselves to God. That is the moment that when they confessed, repented, 
and and had remorse for being what they were called to be, that they gave themselves to God. And at that time, they were called to lead courageously, to reject passivity, and their testimony for Jesus, uh, uh, to Jesus, was so um, evil, hated it so much that they were beheaded. And so God chose them with his love to reign with him. But the moment that they dedicated themselves and and whether it be not just a, um, you know, a, a, a liturgical baptism or a ritual, but they were basically born into the kingdom of God. They belonged to God. They were, uh, you know, adopted as children of God. And so we see right there that moment that they dedicated themselves, they become a holy people. But yes, for sure they are a holy people as God has still set them apart to reign in this thousand year. Yeah. I want to build off something you said too there, Pastor Mm -hmm. Mike. We in the church, we wonder, how effective is my witness? Mm -hmm. Here, these people are testifying to Jesus. It it shows that. Their testimony is the act of being beheaded for the sake of Jesus and the sake of the Word of God. Are they doing well in their testimony? I mean, are these people effective at testifying? Yeah, well... I think it's interesting. A lot of the martyrdom stories, especially of the early church, generally the conclusion of their story is either more people joined them in martyrdom or something was changed in the the witnesses of the martyrs. And even in latter stories, and again, that seems to happen a lot in in kind of the first few centuries of Christendom and kind of tapers off a little bit. But even in uh, those later stories where maybe there's not that immediate response, we find the world changed yeah. because people stood up. Right. And, and there's something fascinating to say, like, even if you don't get that instant result, nothing remains the same. Sure. And, and there's, their, their, their testimony is, uh, or they are successful in their testifying because they have done what they have been called to do. Sure. And in fact, these people are so good in their testimony that they got to be killed. Mm. They're not being killed because they're bad at being <laughs> holy people. They're not being killed because they're really bad at evangelism. Now, again, the standard here, we don't hear that they have all the Christian disciplines lived out in perfection. We, we don't know. They might. They might not. Again, it's not a rejection of those things. It's putting in their proper place. The high rung here that says we will testify to Jesus through being beheaded, that's really important. And yeah, they're really good at this testimony too. That's why they got to be killed. But you talk about how when the martyrdom of the church, it does bring change. You know, this is actually how the gladiator games in Rome came to an end. There was a monk who was watching the gladiator games and he thought it was so heinous that they would have people killed this way. Again, most of the gladiators, they're prisoners. Many of them are Christians. They're being forced to fight to death because they broke the laws of Rome. And this monk gets so upset about it, he runs down into the gladiator arena and he's, you know, he's, he's crying out against it and the crowd gets really mad and stones him. Now, again, to your point there, he didn't see an immediate change, but word traveled throughout all of the Roman Empire that people stoned a monk for standing up for innocent people because a lot of these people, yeah, they were convicted of crimes, but anybody with a brain realized they were, they were innocent people. Mm. And... That was the end of the gladiator games. The Roman culture turned against the whole gladiator system and said, we're not doing that no more. Mm -hmm. You just killed an innocent monk for standing up for innocent people. We're we're, we're done with this. 
So, yeah, that change happened. didn't happen overnight. It takes a while, but it did happen as a result of that. Pastor Mike? Well, you know, I think this whole understanding of a repentance and a, um, you know, turning and having a new mind, the mind uh, of God. Christ-likeness coming and living in you rejects evil and rejects past, you know, to be passive and say, well, I'll worship the beast or whatever, get the mark on the hand or the forehead, whatever is going on there. They were actively rejecting, as we, you know, I know you mentioned re- rejecting other earlier, but they're rejecting the evil that is going on. And you see that with that uh, example you give about the monk. Yeah. And to the whole point I made about the rungs on the ladder, some things don't even get a rung. The beast does not get a rung. <laughs> but He's not low priority. He's no priority. Yeah, yeah he, he's at priority zero. But then there are other things which do take a priority, but they can't become the top priority. Mm-hmm. So when we think about standards of holy living, you know, we talk about our personal disciplines. In the Church of the Nazarene, people used to not go to the movies. You know, ladies wouldn't cut their hair and there's a lot of different things you know regulations about card games gambling smoking a lot of stuff like that and we have to remember those can't be the top rung because the next question i have is if you put something like that at the top rung like having the long robe saying the long public prayer reciting scripture in public Mm -hmm. you know being really good at talking about doctrine you can add that at the top rung but then can't you fail if you don't put god above that yeah, well, I think what's interesting in, in a holiness text we often miss, too, you're talking about Revelation being a surprising one. Uh, do we forget to read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? We just think that's for weddings. But, I mean, it pretty much spells it out. If you've got wisdom, if you've got uh, knowledge, if you surrender your, even martyrdom, if you surrender your bodies to the flames, if you give everything you possess to the poor, if you can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but guess what? If you don't have love, you are nothing. You know nothing. You gain nothing. Yeah. Um, so this is that is holiness. Yeah. If you love like God loves, if you are transformed by God's love to love others like God loves, then you're going to find that, yes, it's good to speak in the tongue of men and angels. Yes, it's good to have wisdom and understanding. Yes, it's good to have faith that moves mountains. Yes, it's good to give to the poor. Yes, even it is good when it comes to the choice comes to you to surrender your body to whatever martyrdom the world asks of you. But those things come secondary to a heart, to a life, to a mind, to hands that are transformed by yeah. love. And, you know, this is the thing. The New Testament is a work of critical thinking and putting things in their proper order. And you you just nailed the ki- the critical part of this. If the holiness does not rest in your heart, mind, and soul, you can do all the superficial stuff. You can even be killed. But if you're killed under the wrong pretenses, if you're killed and your heart's not in the right place. So what? Yeah. Pastor Mike? You know, also, I think, you know, Paul writes about principalities and not we're, we're not necessarily wrestling with flesh and blood. And sometimes we, we, you know, I'm not saying that we should just, legalism is is terribly bad. I mean, all bad, it can be, but it doesn't belong at that top rung of the ladder. Of all things, we must have principles that match up with the God sure. of, of love. Mm-hmm. And so when we understand that every human being uh, you know, has some inherent value because it is a creature of God. Sure. That doesn't mean we 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 embrace the 
person, so to speak, but not the sin. I know we've heard that cliche, but there's more going on. It's the principality and the evil principalities that that are against the godly and holy living that we're against and uh, that we're for. Excuse me. But so you have to place those legalistic things in their proper place in that order that you were talking about earlier. But principalities. The principles, godly principles that we live by, by finding, um, you know, value in human creatures, that belongs up at the top of the list. And so when you do that, then you find things like abortion being a heinous uh, principle that that life is not valued. So we do. We have those principles at, at the at very, very, very high on the rung, well, very top you know, rung. Sure. And building off of that, we have to remember, it's become very popular with a lot of the younger generations, the idea of receiving the Eucharist once a week. You know, this has become more common in the modern Nazarene church than, say, it was several generations back. We used to kind of do it quarterly, and there's a whole history behind that. But we talk about coming to the table a lot now, and we have to remember that coming to the table is coming to a sacramental table. We're not coming to a negotiating table. We're coming to a sacrament and the reason why I bring that up is, again, putting things in the proper order. God has purchased salvation for us. Even as we're talking about what goes on in our hearts and what we're doing, being willing to die, again, we, in our side of things, we respond to God's grace. We respond to Christ's death and salvation. But God is the one who paid that, that price. And we receive that, you know, on our end. And then what we do with that really shapes how we interact with the world around us and how we make good on the talents which God has entrusted to us. So let's get into some of our scriptures because we've got a lot to talk about today. Because this is our module class on becoming a new or becoming a holy people through New Testament principles. So there's a lot of New Testament scripture we actually need to talk about on this. So let's begin, shall we, with Acts chapter 2, because I think this is one of the, the most fundamental things mm. about Christian freedom. Freedom is a huge part of Christianity. Christ comes to proclaim liberty to the captives. When God creates Adam and Eve, you can go to Genesis 1:27. You know, when God creates mankind in his image, you know, God, he created them male and female. Free will is a huge portion of that. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, that's actually fundamental to God's love. You know, John Milton writes that it's the proof of God's love that he actually is willing to let you have sovereign will, but with the love that says, you can choose me and I will walk with you. If I take away your will, you don't have any sovereign will, then you're just a slave. You're just a, a puppet. You're, you're a rock. Hmm. But in Acts chapter 2, we see this principle brought to life when the Holy Spirit comes, when holiness is something for every, everyone. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there from heaven, there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as a fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All were filled by the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, the NASB translates this as they all have the ability to speak out, and I really love that. I love that translation because it reminds us that no matter where you were at beforehand, if you're a new Christian, you're someone who's been in the church for a little while, even though the church hasn't really got its formal nomenclature down yet, but doesn't matter if you're a free, you're a slave, doesn't matter. 
the freedom of Christ has come to you, and you are now sufficient to stand again. Going back to that language, you are now sufficient to speak out. Hmm. All right, who would like to start first on our examination here of Acts chapter 2? This is so important to New Testament holiness. I, yeah, I agree. I'd, I'd just like to say, you know, when we, when we read this, there, there was an understanding. This is not, uh, uh, you know, just utterances going out. There was understanding and clarity going on this in sure. this message. And and also, you know, I think we have to, what is going on with the Holy Spirit? One of the roles the Holy Spirit does is, is where we had the law in the Old Testament that convicted us of sin, what's right and what's wrong, more legalistic, as you were saying earlier, but the Holy Spirit, when it comes and lives inside us, it the Spirit of God helps our mind and our conscience in those areas of, of life to convict us of sin and things that are wrong that break relationship. So mm-hmm. this indwelling of the Holy Spirit is so much more better really than what we what we were receiving in the law doesn't mean the law was was bad it's just not the as good as the holy spirit to convict us in every area and every situation and so this infilling of the holy spirit is much greater than speaking in tongues it is about clarity and understanding how to be a child of God and to speak out, to give that witness, that testimony, and understanding to others all around you. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think like to build off of what Pastor Mike said, you have the day, the Pentecost, the celebration of Pentecost uh, in the Jewish tradition, if I'm remembering everything correctly. So Passover, you have the celebration of God's deliverance, but then you journey into the desert and then to the mountain, uh, to Mount Sinai, Uh, or the ancient uh, Israelites did. And there, what they then later would celebrate as the day of Pentecost, that is their celebration of God giving the law on Mount Sinai. And as the celebration developed, it also turned into a celebration of the first fruits and first uh, harvest and different things like that and celebrating God's provision. But this understanding that God was in covenant with God's people, God was there that, again, as God is holy, the people are to be holy. As God blessed the people, the people are to bless the world. Uh, As God has called them out, they are then to go. And so what greater than connection and celebration than the day of Pentecost as God now calls the new people of Israel who are no longer defined of if they are the descendants of Abraham or Moses or Judah or whichever ancestor, patriarch or matriarch they want to pick out. But now you are defined that you have been called out as children of God. Amen. And there's there's this fantastic thing that happens, like what Pastor Dylan was also saying, there's freedom because now even things like language um, and culture and whatever dividing walls we decide to create to separate us from other human beings are just utterly destroyed in this one moment. Sure. And people, and yes, we see specific people rising to the occasion. We see Peter there. Um, a lot of our ancient icons have Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the middle. There are people that take on very special importance in this story. But even the unnamed disciple number 33 in the back corner gets the indwelling of the Holy Spirit oh, sure. and speaks yeah. out. And so there, there's this, um, there's a miracle, honestly, that takes place because the law that was given to set us free has now then became something that actually enslaved people. And Christ comes to set us free, even from the things that were meant for our good. 
And and so there there is a lot that's happening in this passage, and we do celebrate it as the birth of the church, but we also see God had always been working in, in, in people's lives and calling people towards freedom and to be empowered by the presence, by the spirit, by the indwelling uh, of God's perfect love. Sure, and we know, we talk about disciple number 33, everybody that is there is now sufficient to stand. Mm-hmm. Going back to my original order of things, and I'm going to wrap this back around to the, the unknown people we get. Mm. God alone makes the good. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Spirit comes down. These people, they are made good by God. And even though we were fallen creatures and continue to be fallen creatures, um, the generations after there, it's not like suddenly all children born after the day of Pentecost are, are naturally saved and sanctified. It's <laughs> not the case. But we as fallen creatures, when the day of Pentecost happens, there's an opportunity that you can once again be sufficient to stand. Mm. People are not naturally beheaded for the cause of good. People are naturally passive. They embrace evil. They do heinous things themselves. People are naturally sinners after the fall. It's not God's original design, but that's where we are at. But once again, when holiness comes into your life, you are sufficient to stand. You shouldn't be somebody who's going along with the ruses and bad thinkings of the world. You should be somebody who's standing for what is good, true, and beautiful. And what we find is that really everybody there, not just Peter, not just Mary, not just the popular figures, but even the people in the back corner are really blessed by this. You know, by the time we get to Acts chapter 9, there's a disciple whose name is Tabitha, who has passed away. And she's, her body's being held in an upper room. They're having something of a wake, to kind of put it in modern ideas, even though we don't do wakes as much anymore. So I guess it's kind of weird, but whatever. You've got a lady named Tabitha, and there are other ladies who are up there wearing clothes that she made, and they're testifying to how Tabitha had been righteous. She had been a holy person. You can see even in her funeral service there in Acts 9 how this lady Tabitha, who we've never heard of before and haven't heard of afterwards, she had done so many holy things. She had been sanctified and had those fruits of sanctification, fruits of life. She had been somebody sufficient to stand. Now, by the grace of God, she's raised from the dead in that chapter, but We can see in her hour when they're having their wake for her that she indeed had had those fruits of being once again sufficient to stand. The Holy Spirit sanctified her. Again, we don't know if she was poor, wealthy. We don't know what her circumstances were up to that moment. But regardless, the Holy Spirit, the one that makes the good, came upon her and made her good. Hmm. And people were blessed by it. And it's, it's wonderful to see how everything locks into place when we step into the New Testament and we say, God, we understand you alone make the good. We understand that the law itself does not take a higher priority than you, but it's also not inherently bad either. It just has to be put in its proper place. Mm. And putting things in their proper place is so very important. So let's go now to Matthew chapter 5. Where Matthew 5, verse 48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's pretty straightforward. And sometimes the more sim- the simpler, sorry, if I could speak English, the simpler the verse, sometimes the less we actually understand it. Because, I mean, it seems, like I said, straightforward. God's perfect, be perfect. But then the question is, what is perfect? How am I perfect? And if we go back to the Genesis, I think as you, you mentioned earlier, this idea that God creates order and God creates with purpose. Yeah. That everything had 
a purpose and everything was told everything uh all the creatures were told a command that they were to do and how they were to participate in the creative order this is what made them good as god would call them at the end of each day this is what then would make them perfect not in the sense that every day they woke up and their hair was just right and birds sang outside their window and like everything was kept you know in perfect cleanliness um and not that they never made mistakes, but this idea that they did that which they were created to right. do. And God is perfect because God will always do that which is blessing, life-giving. And you know what? We were talking about in the show prep about contending with God, calling God out when we feel like God has failed us. And I think that is still a faithful response. And sometimes we may feel like God didn't do the good. But God will always do and work in situations, even in awful situations, to bring about life and everlasting life. And this is what then it means to be perfect, is whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, whatever situation, occupation, responsibility we have on ourselves, and we all have different responsibilities and level of talents and resources, but whatever we have, we use them for the good that God has created us for. Sure. And this is this language of sufficient to stand. You are sufficient to stand to do what God made you to do. Mm -hmm. You know, after the fall, people don't naturally do that. They just don't. And to kind of the question of, you know, do we do we come to God and say, God, why didn't you do good here or there? We have to remember that we're here to be stewards of God's truth and stewards of what God has made us to do and not think ourselves advisors who are here to to boss God around. You know, that becomes idolatrous really quickly, and it takes things out of their proper order. As long as we keep things in our proper order, God wants us to be people who critically think, people who converse with God. Mm. And as long as we're doing that from the right angle and in the right order of things, then then we're going to be okay. Putting things in their proper order is very important. You know, God doesn't say that we have to smile the biggest smile when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, but he expects us to go through it. You You may go through it and be at a place where you're like, you know, really kind of doesn't sound that fun being decapitated, but this is what I have to do in this hour. So I'm going to do, I'm going to be faithful to God, Mm -hmm. but I also know that God didn't make me to be decapitated. That wasn't part of the original human form. So obviously I, I, you know, I'm also a little bit crooked if I do take joy in those aberrations. (laughs) So just putting things in the proper order Mm -hmm. of, of serving God, your motivations, what are you really looking to do? What's the primary expression, the first principle of your action? It's very important. Pastor Mike. Well, you know, I think the key phrase and understanding here of perfection is is what Pastor Amanda said, and it is this purpose. We were created in the image of God to bear witness to all the world that every that, that God is creator, that God is king. And so when we uh, live that life, we are basically transformed from that fallen creatureness into being God's instrument. It doesn't mean that we don't have like she said, faults or things that work, but we are whatever instrument or tool God needs to use at any situation all the time, ready to go for God. And God calls us to that. And so that is that purpose and that it is not necessarily we're the tallest or, you know, or any type of uh, physical attribute as much as it is being God's instrument. In other words, God's workforce for God to use us as God sees he needs to. Sure. At, that, at any particular moment. Sure. All right. Let's talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 
And this scripture reads, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God. And again, I'll, I'll let anyone respond to this who wants to, but it, it is simply in order of make sure that all areas of life, God has claim on them all. And in fear of God, we, we look to make them holy. Yeah. Well, it is this transformation that we receive of God from that broken creature into being gods, to be used of God. And so this understanding of, of holiness uh, and, and, and making holiness perfect, that means we are mature. It means that we are a, a finished product and not so much that God's not continually working on us and shaping us and molding us and designing us uh, for every situation, but it is this total giving of God that we do not want to live in any type of sin because we can't we can't belong to God if we're going to going to stay in sin. God calls us out of those those ways that we had that were fallen in the flesh and calls us to live a life a mature life in Christ. And holiness is one thing our holiness is not based upon uh, just our what we do or this legalism or anything that we were talking about. It is the fact that God has us. It owns us. God, uh, we've given ourselves completely to God. And I know it sounds like we're talking in circles here a little bit, but our holiness is totally relational. It is relationship to God that we belong to him. That's what makes us holy. You know, you talk about being made complete, and I think the best language for this is that language which does come from John Milton's Paradise Lost, sufficient to stand. Mm. Yeah. The reason why I say that, let's think about some analogies right now. So when I was in high school, I played rugby. Dad, I know you played football. Amanda, I don't know if you played any sports. Do I look like I've played sports? <laughs> well, we have played sports over there at Trinity, um, volleyball and stuff. So, you know, when it comes to any sort of team, you know, I played rugby in high school. And no, I didn't go to a private school. It was at a public school, but whatever. You know, there comes a time when you're actually sufficient to play, where you're actually a team. You've learned enough of the fundamentals. You can go out and you can do something. Mm. Now, does that mean you're going to win every game just because you're sufficient to play the game, to actually step onto the field? Does that mean that you're going to win every game? No. And and I don't think it even means that you're not going to commit a foul every now and then. No, it doesn't. But there does become a definitive point where you actually know enough of the game that you can actually go out there and play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Being sufficient to stand doesn't mean there's not room for growth. In fact, you may hit a threshold where you're sufficient to win some games. You're sufficient to make it even to the state championship or national championship. But that doesn't mean that you're perfect in the sense that there is no room for growth, that the perfection is over. But instead, it means you have reached this moment, this teleos, this this perfection which says, I am sufficient to stand. I have made it to this threshold where I can endure. I am sufficient to endure here. I'm standing. Hmm. And but it takes there's, disciplines to get there, to sure, be in shape right. and all of that. And so right. even in our spiritual walk, we, ha- we have disciplines that we have in our life that help get us in shape and be that holy people that we're called to be. Right. Okay, next scripture we're going to look at is from Romans chapter 5. Now, there's a lot in the book of Romans <laughs> you can talk about when it comes to holiness. I mean, let's be honest here. We're going to do this program hopefully in about an hour. 
you know, our, our Nazarene Open University class here, we're not going to cover every scripture in the New Testament on holiness. <laughs> not even close. Again, we started with something obscure out of Revelation 24. You may not even think of that initially as a holiness text, but it really is. Mm. And when we look at the book of Romans, there's a lot to choose from. I want us to begin, though, with Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And this scripture reads, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Now, I get it. There's a lot that one could take out of that. <laughs> that there's a lot. Paul has some, some really detailed sentences there with a lot of clauses, <laughs> a lot of phrases. But in this, we find some proper orders. We also find holiness. Any thoughts on this? Who'd like to take this one? You know, I think if we look at Paul's writings, he is very much concerned with holiness. Not just in Romans, but Thessalonians, all the all the 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 letters that we have of Paul. He is, you know, people are. You can see some of the letters, what the intention, what they may have. We only have one side of the letter, by the way. You know, <laughs> perhaps there was a letter sent to Paul, or there's. So we're 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 entering into a discourse, and often it, it's scholars think that you know a lot of people are concerned with. Um, you know, when is Jesus coming back? If we look at the, the Thessalonian letters, if we look to the uh, the Roman letter at that time, we you know, Paul did not plant this church, hadn't been there. He knew people who were there, but at the same time, we know that there are both Jews and Gentiles there, and Paul is concerned about bringing a, a to be united in Christ there. And so you got you know, the whole problem with people still uh, Judaizers wanting to force Gentiles to follow the law. And he is saying, you know, in this this one simple uh, phrase, justified by faith. And so that, you know, that's just a short phrase. But if you really dig deep into that, yes, it is our faith, but we are justified by the faith faithfulness of Christ Jesus going to the cross and that work of the cross uh, that Jesus did on the cross. And so sure. we must believe into that, which in, involves more than just belief, because we believe we have to have trust and loyalty and fidelity. Uh, all of these things bring us into a relationship with God. So this is Again, I sound like I'm, I'm I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but holiness is relational, and this is that call to be in that right relationship with God. Mm. Pastor Bonnie has informed us oh, no. that Amanda has been in many uh, Bible quiz teams, puppet teams, <laughs> dance teams, and many other mission teams. And I'm actually really glad she said this because these are better examples than I gave when I brought up rugby. Because when you think yeah. about being in either a dance team or something with puppets. Where is the puppet? Uh, Stanley Stankup is above team. Pastor Mike's head, but we yeah. can't see him. Here we go. When you think puppet about team. a puppet team. The puppet team. And I'll, I'll <laughs> pose this to Amanda, who's over there laughing right now. She's having a good time with this. If one is doing a puppet show, 
there is a time where you are sufficient to produce the show. Like you, you understand enough what's going on. But does that not mean you can't do it better? If you're doing something like a dance, which actually takes a lot of skill, that's something which doesn't just happen um, instantaneously. There is a moment where you become sufficient to pull that off, but then there's still room to do it better. No? And I'll mm. kind of let Amanda come in from that. Yeah, first and first foremost, thanks, Mom. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, secondly, yeah, I think in any discipline, and this is the interesting thing that we're kind of pulling that, that Second Corinthians passage and then going to this Romans passage, is in the Second Corinthians passage, we have language of cleansing ourselves, making holiness perfect. And then we get into Romans where it says we are justified by faith. And we see this as a dialogue that happens throughout our New Testament, just not only within Paul's letters to churches, but between Paul and Peter, Paul and um, James, Paul and the rest of the church, is this idea that we are made right, justified, by the faithfulness of Christ. And yet we have actions that we we must participate in. Sure. And, and this is holiness really and something that we may have lost in some of our holiness traditions is, well, I went to that second trip to the altar. I had a cathartic experience. You know, the, the camp meeting preacher was fiery. The, the, the gospel choir saying, uh, you know, 400 verses of I surrender all. I have been perfected in Christ. I have received entire sanctification. And then we go out and do what we want, which is hilarious, hilariously uh, similar to some other beliefs that we actually don't believe in the holiness tradition. And what to find ourselves participating daily, moment by moment, um, in the life of God through multiple disciplines to where whether we are on a sports team or any kind of group activity or even individual activity, there are disciplines that take place that we continually live and are growing and working on ourselves through the grace of God uh, to be continually perfected in love, perfected in holiness. And I think what's also interesting in this Romans text is that it ends with, and hope does not disappoint. Sure. This is the fidelity of God bleeding through this text sure. that tells us we want to be good. We want to be sufficient to stand, to use that language. We we don't want to be broken people anymore. No one, I think even the most broken person that lives in their brokenness, they really don't want to, but they possess neither the resources nor the conviction uh, to get out of it. Everyone can recognize the brokenness. The problem is... Can we recognize our hope to be better is actually actualized, yeah. can actually be achieved and lived into, and we don't have to continue to be broken. And this is the hope of Romans. This is the hope that Paul is writing to this church that is also dealing with both emotional and kind of political divisions, but also very real persecutions from real people who want to drive them from their homes and even potentially cause them to lose their life. That you have hope and that hope will never give way because God is faithful and therefore you can be faithful. Amen. Yeah. And just to touch on a couple of things. One, I'm actually really glad Sister Bonnie sent us that note. Pastor Bonnie noted the idea of a puppet team or a dance team. And I actually think that fits the whole description better. 
I, so I'm thanking her for that because I'm <laughs> going to use that in the future because that really illustrates sufficient to stand because you, you do reach a point with something like that where you can pull off the production. You can pull off the show. You can do it at a quality level, but there's still room for more. There's still mm-hmm. room for to learn another routine, to learn a another program. If you're doing a, a puppet show at, like at a church, you can learn a better, more you know elaborate program to, to teach. So really good examples there, but also... You know, we talk about how do we relate to brokenness? That's also a really important th- part of holiness. We also know that when the Egyptians release the Israelites, the Israelites actually get mad at Moses, Miriam, and Aaron and say, you know, why did you bring us out to the wilderness? Were, were there not enough graves for us in Egypt? And this is a, a question that really comes back to being a fallen creature because you kind of mentioned no one really likes the brokenness, but we oftentimes see that there are people who want to hold on to it. Mm. And... Again, I realize that our language is not perfect. We always got to have grace for that. But you you did hit another word there that said sometimes people lack the conviction to let go of it. And this is one of these places where I don't always have – I know we're fallen creatures, and that's one of my fundamental rules for Christian thinking is we are indeed fallen creatures. But getting people to actually want to let go of the brokenness can sometimes be pretty hard. Mm-hmm. They may want to let go of it, and and I think there's some truth to the fact that not always do people admit they want to let go of something when they they do. I don't know. I'm not a mind reader. But to actually bring about that conviction that you mentioned there is not an easy thing to do because that's oftentimes at the core of problems we see where people are stuck in that brokenness and don't want to aspire higher. And we in the church, we need to emphasize that motivation to, to come out of that. You know, I'm one who rewrites some of the songs. I know I'm one of those those <laughs> jerk preachers that do that. But in the song Shout to the North, one of the opening verses says, in your brokenness complete. And I've changed that because God doesn't want you to be complete in your brokenness. God wants to pull you out of the brokenness. If you said something like out of your brokenness complete, then yeah, that would make sense. But God loves you despite that, not for that. So just some different ideas yeah. pushing around with all this. Pastor Mike? You know, I think that maturity and that relationship with God, obviously, when God brings us out of out of whatever you know bondage or whatever's going on out of uh, in Egypt, whatever our own personal Egypt is, from that fallen creature, and God's bringing us and and transforming us. But there is a sentiment that is you know popular among some uh, songs of glorifying brokenness. Now, now listen, we are the power of God and the ministry of reconciliation is that purpose and and uh, that glorification is that is bearing witness to that saving work of God and God's presence. It is not to focus and get the order wrong. Even though there is brokenness, we should never try to glorify the brokenness. We are there to glorify God, that saving presence that brings us out and calls us to be that image, not the brokenness itself. But yeah, you you know, I'm with you. I'm probably worse than you about this whole brokenness language. (laughs) Um, Yes, it is there, but it is not it, it, it is not what we're trying to glorify. It's not something to wallow in and, yeah. and rejoice in. No, we must come out of that. Sure. But, I mean, this is nothing new. We see him, we see him do it, and in the wilderness, uh, we see it happening today. Mm. And with that, we're going to continue this conversation because I like where things are going. This okay. is a, a really important angle of that. 
This also brings us to the question of what does real compassionate and real ministry of reconciliation look like? Mm. It's not just keeping people in those low points, but actually finding that conviction. I really like the, the language you had there, Amanda. Let's go to Romans 6, verses 20 through 23, and that scripture reads, When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from these things which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what we find here is this beautiful liberty. Again, to deny liberty as part of the church is to deny some of the core tenets of Christianity, to, de to deny the providential design that God has for, for our species and what God designed men and women to be. But when you look here at Romans chapter 20, you do find that Paul is trying to spur people to have that conviction, to, to mm -hmm. take some honor in your heart. You know, you used to be ashamed of things, or excuse me, you used to do things that you're now ashamed of. But now, take some joy. The end result of this is sanctification, eternal life. There's good things down the road from here. There's something to be convicted about. There's something to be excited about. There's something to aspire for here. Well, absolutely. And I think the, you know, when we look at the levels of happiness that I, that I talk about sometimes, you know, you have those instant gratifications that, that the, of the flesh that, that are, you know, you know, fulfilled, but they are not long lasting. And then you move on to others. But when you get to that level where you're in the pursuit with God, the ministry of seeing right relationship in every part of your life and the world around you, then that is where you start investing not only in others, but investing in yourselves, investing in God, investing in all of creation. And you start to see a happiness take form and shape that is not just some instant gratification that is gone. And, and just, a you know, as soon as you eat your ice cream cone, it's great, <laughs> brings a lot of happy and a lot of joy, but 10 minutes after it's gone, you know, so is the joy. When you start investing in others and in this pursuit with God of this ministry of reconciliation, this transformation sure. of not only your life, but the lives of people around you and ask God to use you as his instrument, then you're starting to make those eternal investments that bring so much joy and happiness that is beyond anything else in comparison. And so th that's exactly what Paul's talking about. He's talking about this transformation, this sanctification, tr moving away from things that are just temporal and moving towards the eternal. What a, a uh, inspiring uh, passage. Sure. All right, let's go to Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And if you are out there and you are someone in the Church of the Nazarene who is going to go before a district board. This is a good scripture that a lot of people are looking for. For mm -hmm. one reason or another, people <laughs> like to hear this scripture. Um, and it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Hmm. Now, I think this is a great scripture to weave into what we read from Revelation 20. 
Because what you have here in Romans 12, 1 and 2, is the philosophy, which you find in Revelation 13 and then again in Revelation 20 is the application of that theology. Mm. Because the beast wants you to be conformed to the world, wants you to bow down. But those who denounce the beast, those who reject it and stay firm with God, those who are sufficient to stand, their bodies are presented as a living sacrifice. They're holy and acceptable to God. In fact, Jesus raises them from the dead to reign with him. They're transformed by the renewing of their minds in many levels. I mean, they're going to get a new body to reign with Christ because, I mean, he's not resurrecting, you know, rotten skeletons that don't have a head. He's going to resurrect them with a new body. And they have discerned what is the will of God. And now they're going to reign with Christ. So, I mean, you look at these two things. I actually think they go together hand in hand, but I'll let someone else step in here. Pastor. Right. You know, I, th- I think what we see here in this letter that Paul writes, just like we were talking about order, the, even the letter structure that, that Paul used in the first century is is that a, a, of structure where you have, um, you know, a, a, maybe a, a greeting, a, a salutation, um, you know, you have the body. But when you get right here, you're in what they call the paranesis. That is where the rubber meets the road. And it's not just these two verses. But if you look at the entire um, chapter 12 and, and part of 13, you see where Paul is instructing the people in Rome, and really for all of us, all Christians, to live a life that is like a mirror reflecting this love of God in the world. And this is how you do it. This is how you, you do it in everyday life. And so this is this is exactly what Dylan says. This is where the nuts and bolts of things come. This is where you start putting this transformation to work all around you. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, and I think this is where we can echo Paul um, writes in his other, in, well, I'm sorry, in his letter to the Philippians, you're talking about your mind being transformed into the image of Christ, Christ's likeness, which also, if you're going before a Nazarene church board or uh, credentials board, use the word Christ likeness at some point in your explanation of holiness. It will help you. Uh, but also Philippians 2, it says, have the mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, that though Christ being in the very form of God did not call or did not count equality with God, something to be grasped but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of humanity, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death to the cross. This is Christ-likeness. This is what it means to then have your mind transformed, your spiritual worship, uh, the renewal of your mind. It is sacrifice, but it is not sacrifice for sacrifice's sake, right? God is not a masochist or a sadist. God calls us to live into life, and the world wants death. Yep. And so when we speak life, when we speak light into the darkness, order into the chaos, life into death, we will find things will then try to combat us. Sure. Whether it is somebody or a system that wants to behead us or take away our jobs or make it difficult for us to work within um, the systems of our world, whatever that persecution looks like, The world will try to fight us, but we find this call of humility and of sacrifice and of grace that calls us to something deeper, and that is to be like God because, or Christ-like, we don't like the language of God-like, but Christ-like, is that God who was perfect and holy and complete within God's self decided for some strange reason 
that there needed to be a creation to join in the divine dance. And holiness can only mm -hmm. exist within that communal and individual, but in that community of ever giving and receiving love. And that, that is holiness, is to have that mind of Christ Jesus, to be transformed and renewed in that mind of God. Yeah. It's an invitation to join the team yeah. in the pursuit of, of, of oh. God's uh, you know design and desire. Very, very articulately said, Pastor Ben. And we want to be sufficient to be on the team. Amen. In fact, yes. you need to be. So just weaving all of this together. <laughs> Let's go to Philippians 4.8, shall we? Yes. Philippians 4.8 reads, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is beautiful, whatever is commendable, if there is anything virtuous and worthy of praise, anything of good report, meditate on these things. Now, we read that scripture, and this outlines for us a nice set of markers. These are things which they, they are interwoven with holiness. If you are doing things which are holy, you're going to be walking in truth. You're going to have honor and nobility in your heart. You're going to be just. You're going to be clean and pure. You're going to be actually walking in beauty. You know, beauty is actually one of these things which we, we don't talk about enough in the church, and it's really kind of sad to me. Real beauty is something very important to holiness. Um, having those upward aspirations, wanting to aspire in all areas of life. Again, God has dibs on everything we do. So whether we're at home working on a 1984 Mercury Lynx diesel, which I will be doing, and I've got that car running, by the way, you know, having beauty, aspiring beyond just an old car is very important. Aspiring to, to beauty in the world around us is something which matters in everything that you do. And we look at this list of Philippians 4.8, and I think it's actually another great list to keep in mind with holiness because it gives us some things to keep in mind and also... Evil hates all of these things. The devil, the nether gloom beneath all worlds, hates all of these things. It hates truth. It hates goodness and real honor. It likes to give fake versions of all of this. It loves to give phony versions of all of this. It loves mm -hmm. to, to betray these things. It loves to defile them and blaspheme them because all of these things come from God and they are good aspects of holiness. Any thoughts on this list? You know, I would just like to say you was talking about beauty uh, you, you know, the brokenness is not, it, it's ugly. It's not beautiful. It is just horrific. But yet the transformation and the reconciliation and the, the uh, salvation, the coming out of brokenness is a beautiful work. And yes, the, de the design that God has for us, the design of all creation here, it is extremely beautiful, and, and sure. we should uh, aspire to, to enjoy it, but also reflect it out into this world. Absolutely. We have one final scripture we're going to look at, <laughs> though we had so many more prepared for this. We may have to come back and do a round two on this one because there's so much scripture to talk mm. about this. But I want us to end, actually, with Third John verse 11. And 3 John just has the one chapter. 3 John 1.11, if you're typing it in Bible Gateway, <laughs> comes up and says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Mm. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And I think this is a great stick-in-your-pocket, carry-around-with-you reminder of how to live a holy life. Imitate the things of God. Speak using the language of Scripture. You know, these are good things. 
if you are starting to imitate evil, you're already most of the way there to becoming, you know, fully given over to evil. So any final thoughts on this scripture? Well, and I think, you, like you said, this is a good verse to have in your back pocket. And when we, we do look at our world and the complexities of it, and sometimes it looks like evil is doing good and good is doing evil. How do we decipher all this? Um, you know, Jesus kind of went through all this in his Sermon on the Mount. He went through in a lot of his teachings that we have throughout the Gospels. And I think Jesus was a little bit more to the point than Paul. Uh, Paul uh, likes to circle the barn a little bit or uh, beat around the bush. Uh, but he's also has a slightly different uh, conversational style than Jesus did. And so if you want something a little bit more hands-on, just relook at the bad Beatitudes. Uh, look at when Jesus tells them that they are to be salt and light. Sure. Um, this is when we ask ourselves, what does it mean to imitate what is good? What does it mean to be from God and to follow God, to be Christ-like? Again, to use that language. Um, again, just this is why we have the gospel narratives. So when we say be Christ-like, we knew what we know how sure. who Christ was like, how Christ acted, and our world again the brokenness of our world and trying not to over personify it too much because like Mike or Pastor Mike pointed out our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, um, but when we are confronted by the things of this world, the things that wish to drag us back into darkness and to chaos and death, we respond with how Christ responded. And yes, sometimes that is with a soft and gentle word. Sometimes that is with a harsh rebuke and turning over tables. And sometimes all that takes place within hours of each other. Um, but the gift of God, again, this wisdom and other songs uh, puts it as to move at the impulse of your love. It becomes second nature. Really, it becomes our primary nature to be compelled and motivated and empowered by the nature of God. Amen. Amen. And that's where we're going to wrap up our program today. So thank you much. God love you. We'll be back to talk more of Becoming a Holy People.